Looking to create wealth and income through high cash flowing real estate? Self-storage is the fastest growing and the newest real estate asset that has outperformed all others. What's its secret? I'm AJ Osborne, and with over a million square feet that we have built, acquired, expanded, and even converted big box stores from small third-tier markets to large hundred plus thousand square foot facilities, we have seen it all. This is the podcast that we're going to discuss and bring on the best investors and operators in the nation to show you how to create wealth and income with self-storage. Welcome to Self-Storage Income. Welcome everybody to Self-Storage Income. And today we have a great topic because so many of you guys um, have asked about this and it, out of all our discussions around self-storage, I think it probably encompasses like 60% of the discussions that I have with people who are reaching out or emailing or in our inner circle and all these different things that we're doing working with others in self-storage is of uh, evolves around starting out by buying a small facility and lots of times in a third-tier market. Um, what do you think, Connor? You think that's pretty accurate? It's going to be awesome. And yes, I think that's extremely accurate. And, um, that's exactly, it makes sense because that's exactly how you did it. Yep. That's how you started. So exactly. It and totally makes sense. And two, I think for those of you that are not very familiar with storage and, um, I guess we could explain why let's uh, start at the fundamentals here. Um, third tier markets are cheaper and smaller facilities are cheaper. It is purely a uh, the economics of someone getting into it that maybe has savings, um, but they do not have, um, you know, or, or not even savings. Maybe they have friends and family, uh, but they, they don't have a ton of experience. Maybe they have some other real estate investments, but they're not rolling out saying, oh, I'm going to buy a $6 million facility. And um, there, I think the question. There's a lot of questions that evolve around this, uh, and it needs to be addressed because it's it, it's treat. I treat them differently. I, I treat those very very dr- differently. Like people say, well, would you do this deal? Okay, first of all, no, I wouldn't do a small deal in a third tier market. But that's only at this stage. If I had to start all over again, mm-hmm. that's exactly how I would start. It, honestly. I'd follow my exact same road path. I would get into sales where I could just work like crazy and try to generate as much sales income as I could because that's my that, that is my natural skill that I have. I obviously couldn't be an, you know, I couldn't probably be an accountant or <laughs> anything to do with grammar or writing, right? Um, AJ, the uh, writing teacher. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> English major. English major. We, you know, <laughs> your kids will not turn out well, trust me. Um, I am very dyslexic. For all of you that follow me on social media, text me or anything like that, you know this. Um, but I, so that would be my avenue to generate income then I would go into a third-tier market, and I'm going to give you the playbook just right here real quick, and then we can dive into it, okay? The exact playbook that I would do. I would save up enough money, and I would either get friends and family if I didn't have the money to save up or if I didn't have a good job, uh, or not a good job, but I didn't have one that paid. 
I would create my investing thesis. It would be value add because I need that upswing to propel me into another one. So I'm not looking to get my 6% return, right? Um, investing stashing cash away and making sure that it doesn't lose mo lose money, but it barely grows is not a way to financial freedom. So you, I'm not going down that road. I'm looking for the upside. Um, so I go into a market, I find a small facility where there are no major players. So there's no REITs, there's no um, huge uh, regional players uh, that are dominating. I'd particularly look at all the markets that had maybe a population of under 10,000, but not, you know, a few hundred, obviously. Um, and I would look at markets where I could search online storage in this market and nothing would pop up. I know there's storage there mm -hmm. and nothing right. pops up. I would then go to that market. I would go test all the facilities uh, uh, secret shop, all the facilities. I would go pull all the rates from every single facility. I'd find the one that is the lowest in the market. I would make sure all of their occupancies are really high, confirming demand. I would find out what the spread is between the top one and the lowest one. And then I would calculate how much it would take me to get quality in the same range. So maybe it's maybe there's no, um, maybe it needs to be paved. Maybe the manager's terrible. Maybe it's operations, all these different things. Why there's a difference in the pricing in that. Normally, the spread between the two is not a lot. And lots of times in third tier markets, it's nothing. Um, and so, except for operations, but as a monetary amount, it's nothing. I would go start conversations with the owner. I would ask to take him out to lunch to build a relationship with that owner, I would tell him, listen, I'm young, I'm ready to go, I want to go out in the world, why did you buy this storage facility? Why are you in this game, right? I'd learn his motives, I'd be very transparent in what I'm trying to do and accomplish, and I would say, you know, would you, would you afford me the privilege to purchase your asset? Um, and two, you're doing this for cash flow, there's all these other reasons, Lots of time in that situation, that's a great model to get owner financing, which I would also try to secure, not a bank loan, because I could put 10% down. Now, you're like, well, it doesn't always work out like that. Well, I talked to three people today. They're all doing it. That's how I did it, and I did it twice. And two, you're just not looking hard enough because third-tier markets are primed. I, and uh, when I was young, I, I was... I was out lunch to lunch with this guy, and he was a pretty big investor. And we were talking about third-tier markets, and he said, AJ, you have to remember that when you walk into a third-tier market, lots of times, you are the only buyer. You're it. Nobody else is coming into some small town in Idaho saying, sense. yeah, I, you know, if I'm, <laughs> I'm selling my facility, and I'm just fighting off all the buyers here. Right, right. So – you have to make sure that you demand that situation of price. So owner financing, getting this, uh, get it locked in. Then I would come in and I would change the look, the fill. I'd move everything online, online marketing. I'd train and make the manager look professional, wear a uniform. I'd brand. Um, and then I would focus on getting all the units up to the top of the market and in, in the price range, which they should. I would lower delinquencies. 
I would tighten up on policies and procedures about how you give late fees, what you accept, how discounts are given, and I would focus on those details in the operations. So I would optimize the operations, and then the spread on the up would be my upside, from which I would either refinance the, um, the old owner out, or if it's a good deal, I'm not going to refinance at all, I will either go get a line of credit on that property, or I will wait, accumulate cash, and then I will go and repeat the exact same process. Upon getting three or four facilities, I would then use the cash flow or the equity from those facilities to move into a little bigger of a market, but not a huge one, to buy a large facility. That is exactly what my playbook would do would be. Tomorrow, if I lose everything, that's what I'm going to go do. Um, well, even now, that's that's exactly what you do. It's what even, I do, except now. on a bigger level. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's the same it, process. Same process. Yeah. Um, and that's the beautiful thing about storage. In fact, too, I argue that there is way more opportunities to buy in third-tier markets than there are others. It makes total sense. If I walked in, I could probably line up 50 cities right across just our state alone, I could probably go out this this year and buy five facilities that have great value add potential. And then now I hear the person listening to this saying, well, okay, Jaden, why don't you? Well, once again, <laughs> the reason I don't is because those are small facilities and that makes no sense for me. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're talking about assets that are, are you know, 200,000 to a million dollars, right? I'm trying to buy assets that are, you know, 10 to 30 million. Right. Um, so, but with that said, I, I think that is a, uh, it's a great way to go. It's a great way to grow. You, first of all, you learn the asset. Oh, one thing I do need to mention, as I'm scaling the facility, I would not scale it within that, that city. So now let me make this very clear. I'd buy it in a third tier market in a little city, right? And then when I got the equity or the cash flow coming from that asset, I would then leave and go to another city. Why? Because third-tier markets get decimated in downturns. And not always, not always. That's not true always. In fact, during the recession, um, one of the reasons uh, a lot of areas uh, in Idaho, as well as others, did very well was because of agriculture. Commodities were rising. Farmers were doing very well. It was in the big cities, major metropolitan area that were dominated wealth through um, the housing boom that got that, that got crushed. So that's that's not always true. Um, in fact, I did a lot of business in more rural markets during the recession uh, because they were they were doing good and they were actually hiring. Um, and we worked in the insurance benefits, so we're moving into those markets. But um, there's just so much more room to play when you're a first-time investor with those sellers. Most of the time, you're dealing with an uneducated seller. Mm -hmm. Contracts you're, are all your favor. Now, and this is the next step we need to talk about. So my contracts, when I sell or finance, are going to be really good because I am not going to guarantee the loan. The asset guarantees the loan. And they should have no problem with that because they own the asset. And then, too, I'm going to take it out as long as I can. I'm probably going to have to pay a little higher interest rate. But with interest rates so low, that's not a game changer. That's not a killer right now. Because you're talking about the difference. Maybe it's six as opposed to four, right? Which 
yeah, that seems really high to everybody right now. But all things, you know, taken into account, six isn't terrible to get great terms on that contract, on that paper. Um, so there are some major benefits to it. Now you have to realize the downsides and why it's a short-term gain. It's a short-term gain because there's such limited upside to those third-tier markets. You just do not get appreciation like you do in bigger markets. Most of the small markets in the United States are dying. They're not growing. So this is very important. Third-tier markets are a cash flow game. Nothing else, nothing more. Don't expect it to all of a sudden you know, grow at you know, 4% equity every year. It's not going to happen. In fact, you could be sitting there and it could be worth less. Happened to me. But cash flowed, right? I was paying down debt and putting money in my pocket. Um, and that's what you're trying to create. You're trying to create cash flow. And you, how you increase your equity position in those assets is you increase the cash flow. So by increasing the cash flow in the asset... Uh, based upon the cap rate and stabilizing the asset, you um, making it look better, um, having better managers. And two, if you could train a manager to do a really good, open it up to other buyers that maybe buy it from another place um, that maybe get a lower cap rate. So you want to improve efficiencies, but it's, it's not the market that's going to do it. It's you. And you need to be ready for that. And that's always the way it should be. Yes, like you that's shouldn't bank always, on the market anyway. That's no once again how we do it now. Right, right. Um, but it's not a long-term game. Um, and so I, I think not only, once again, do I think it's a good way to start get started. And unless, now, I, this is all said with a caveat. I'm not telling you to go start with this. If you have a half a million dollars, no, don't. Right? Go. If you have access, friends, family, if you can get capital, okay, bypass it and go get a bigger facility in a better market. Now, if you're still starting out, though, don't go compete in hot markets. Stay away. But there's still a lot of good uh, intermediate at, uh, markets, right, that they're, you know, I, and you see these markets where it's, you, we all have to remember, that I, I feel like I need to put some asterisks, you know, <laughs> in a lot of these podcasts. See to, the show notes. Yeah, please see the show <laughs> notes and uh, the disclaimers yeah. on AJ's brain. Um, so in these markets, I'm coming from Boise, Idaho, right? Boise, Idaho is a thriving second-tier market. To me, if you're in New York, Boise, Idaho is a third-tier market. First time somebody told that to me, which was a bank, I was shocked. I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> We're growing like mad here. Prices yeah. rise at 12% every year and have for you know ages outside the Great Recession. We have 700,000 people, um, but to them, it, it's very much a third-tier market. And I'm like, then what are my third-tier markets to you, right? Like it was, you know, no but um, so, yes, if you're in New York or L.A., um, and I say a third-tier market, I'm not talking about Boise. <laughs> no, I'm not talking about That's a good point. Uh, Albuquerque, you know, I'm not talking about Oklahoma City. Um, these are second-tier markets. Uh, Third-tier markets are populations that are, you know, below 100,000, um, at least to me. That's what, and so I just get, need to give you the frame of reference and how I'm putting this together and thinking when I say this. 
Um, it because a lot of people go, you know, they would. I mean, we hear this. We hear this from people coming from Southern California. They go, "Oh, we're coming up to Boise," you know, because it's this this side market, this little market outside it, and there's nobody's really, you know, coming into this market. We look around here and we're like, "What are you talking about? We're at 16 square feet per capita." <laughs> Did you we're see one, this place like 10 years ago? <laughs> yeah, we're like one of the most overbuilt markets in the United States. Um, but it's once again, they're it's the reference point. Mm-hmm. They're coming from LA. Right. And yeah, LA might as well be another world. Um, and so once again, though, we're doing developments in first tier markets in Seattle, and I, I have no problem with that, but it's all timing. I, we, we could not go into a first tier market, um, five, six years ago. We weren't, we weren't there. And I'm not saying you can't, right? This is also another part of the conversation. Are you doing the management or is somebody else? Are you, are you going to front the process and have a REIT manager facility for you, then you may not care about these things. Now, if you're going to have a REIT manage it for you, you're strapped though. And let me explain why getting started, I don't like that. Now, if you're a fund manager right now listening, I want you to ignore the next 10 minutes because (laughs) I can go put myself in another spot where I say, I'm in the investment world. I syndicate and I run a bunch of funds. I need to get a 6 to 15% return on my money. I would go find the lowest competition, large markets that I can, that are up and coming. I would throw up a store and I'd have a re- manage it. I'd walk away and go do my thing, right? I'd put $3 million into it and then move on. I just didn't come from that. It's not my background. It's not how... I, I didn't have that ability. I'm going into cities of 3,000 people. Um, so when you look at it that way, it's, it's, it's different. Um, for everybody else outside the fund managers or the family offices and everything, uh, third-tier markets um, have the, the, the advantages of them. And the reason why you need to operate is because most of the time, third-party management companies will not operate assets in those areas. And the people that do are really bad. I know this from experience. We had in a third-tier market an asset, which we hired a third-party management company who said they specialized in storage. When we took it back over, it was at 55% occupancy. Devastated. We turned the thing around and just thought, oh, maybe it was because it was the recession. And that's why we put it off until it got to that point. And we said, wait, no, this is crazy. And we turned the asset around. We improved it. We made it look great and everything. And that's when we really learned, no, we have to do this. Um, when you're in those markets, there's a lack of good competition and competitiveness. But that's not a bad thing. If you're starting out, that lends to your ability. Um, because a little effort goes a really, really long way. And you're not worried about somebody coming in and, you know, being a public storage where they're going, listen, we're just going to throw 3,000 units up in this market. And we understand that we're not going to fill up, but that's okay because we're buying market share. And we're, 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 you know, we're just, we're taking over the map here. Mm-hmm. And we, we get our money for nothing and we're going to be here in 100 years. Uh, so that's not us. So those are the benefits of the third tier markets. The downside, the lack of appreciation, the downside of um, really upside in uh, future increases in revenue um, and then to the risk, 
right? They can get hit hard because if people aren't moving there, if you have more supply on the market, right, there's no one to absorb that supply. Uh, but with that said, lots of time in third-tier markets, nobody's building there. So don't know if that makes sense, but if I was to give someone, right, if I was to give a 25-year-old, 45-year-old, or a 65-year-old with their retirement accounts, and they're like, I'm going to put this money to work, but I don't have infinite funds. I need to learn this. I need to get started. It's my playbook. Um, that's what I do. Uh, once again, if you're a fund manager, a family office, that's not your playbook. That's okay. You already know that. <laughs> so, um, But for all of you that are really wanting to get into this asset class and you're wanting to get into it too as a business, start small. Learn, grow, because what that'll also do for you is your next one you can get money for. So you show how you can improve an asset, you show how you can make money, increase equity, um, and then you can take people that you may be interested in coming in on a deal with you, introduce them to your manager who looks professional, right? You're in the nice cleaned up office. You can show them your marketing strategy online and how you're using Google and pay-per-click and how you're the only one in the market that is currently doing that and how that your facilities delinquencies are 4% and you keep them down because, you know, you not only audit, but you moved everybody to auto pays, which allows you to um, have an active rate management style where you give individuals at rate increases every six months, right? You're showing all these things and they're going, whoa, you got it together, man. Yeah, you got it figured out. Right? And so then you go to the guy that owns the local uh, insurance shop or the you know, local McDonald's or, you know, whatever it is who they have some cash they'd love to put to work, but they don't want another job. Then you go to them and say, listen, I have $50,000. I'm coming in. You give me 200,000. Let me show you what I've done. I already have another asset in mind. Let's go do it again. Right. And you can create scale. So dude, absolutely love it. We should put, uh, we should put this in like a guide format on the official website. You know? It's a good idea. Yeah, yeah throw it, it is a good there. idea. No, it's, it's great advice, and I'm really excited that there's there's so many people out there that uh, are asking this question, like how do you start out small? Because there are a lot of um, gurus and other people that are sending out you know poor information and telling people like, oh, you don't go big or go home. Like you don't really need to do this or that. And there's a lot of people that unfortunately fall victim to that mentality and that mindset and that ideal and. Um, lose their way and end up falling on their face and, and having a massive, massive opportunity cost to, I mean, it maybe yeah. even ever try it again. Ever try it again. I mean, it could be game over forever yeah. for some people. And so it's just really exciting that uh, we have had that response of people asking, you know, how do you start out? And um, AJ, dude, I mean, that's a phenomenal, phenomenal insight in how you got started and, again, how – we still run this company and how we still mm -hmm. operate, how we look at things, um, force value, everything else. I mean, and, and the beautiful thing is, uh, like we've pointed out in other podcast episodes is, you know, going from those smaller facilities to the bigger ones is, is really not that much different in this. Yeah. As far as work and yeah. what it entails. Exactly. You know? It's all it's the not. same thing. And once you have that down, you can, you can move over, you know, how to spot opportunity. Now you're confident you can go out and then you just up the size and then you increase your margins and your cash flows and it, it becomes a scalable process. So, you know, and guys, I hope this is, you know, I 
we get so many questions on this. I hope this is good information. And we, you know, we got to, we've got a favor to ask of you guys, because if you are liking this, if you're like, Hey, this is good. And yes, I am giving you my playbook. I have a problem with other podcasts where they're just simply trying to get you into a funnel to go to a two day event and sell you on a $20,000 thing. No, I, we're here to give you the value. We're here to tell you how to do it. We want you to be successful in this asset class. We want to help others. Guys, we're doing this for free. We put tons of money and time into it. I mean, it's late at a night, the week before Christmas, we're doing it. And we love doing this for you guys. Give us a five-star review. Um, tell us how much you appreciate it. You'll love it. When we get that kind of feedback, that's what we say, okay, we're doing the right things. And I had three people today shot me an email and they'd given me reviews and they said, hey, thanks for what you're doing. And I was like, we got to do another one tonight and we got to hit what they were talking about and what they were asking me. And they, you know, the appreciation, they gave me the feedback and helping us out a little, That's getting huge. our message out. We're happy to do it. And I'm happy to just say, here's the playbook on all sorts of different things and operations and stuff. So we do appreciate that. And we do ask you, give us a five-star uh, review, guys. We appreciate it. It keeps us going. Absolutely. And like AJ's talking about, get at us with your comments, your questions, your ideas, everything. I mean, shoot them over. Send them to us uh, on social media or at the website, selfstorageincome.com, and uh, we'll, we'll talk about it. We've done, I mean, or on Bigger Pockets, we've got, we're, we're active on there. Yep. Um, I mean, people have gone on there and asked us, you know, shot us an inbox or a question in the inbox and, uh, We've literally went out and been like, sweet, let's do a video on that real quick, and we'll upload it to YouTube, and then we send you a link and all that jazz. I mean, yep. obviously, we can't do that for everybody all the time, but uh, we, we do try. do that. Yep. You know? And so massive value in uh, just letting us know what your questions are, your comments, concerns, all that jazz, and we do exactly like what we're doing here today, just sitting down and talking about that stuff that you guys want to hear about. So, We appreciate it, everybody. Thanks a ton. Find us once again, too, um, on Instagram. The reason why that's important is because I do put up there and Connor, um, we throw uh, photos of our projects that we got going on and kind of shows you things that we can't show you on the podcast. Like we'll take videos. I showed, we showed our value add projects, you know, our buildings coming up. We talk about our technology and I sit there and walk through the different aspects of it on there. Um, and so that, that, that part in YouTube is kind of our visual instruction side right, to it right. so you can actually see some of the stuff we're talking about but exactly thanks everybody and if you don't hear from us in the next have a merry christmas and uh enjoy it spend time with your family and then get flipped back to work and get some facilities yes take care guys <laughs>